0: that I gave you and uh, tonight we're in our the fourth stage of growth we're looking at a spiritual growth chart that I developed for us to just kind of gauge where we are and and the progression that we're moving in from glory to glory or with ever-increasing glory we're growing in maturity and in stature in Christ it is always working for our good and to our benefit And uh, so just as a quick review, if you'll remember, the first stage of spiritual growth is identification. Identifying yourself as a sinner, identifying Jesus as a Savior, identifying God as a forgiving God who sent His Son. Identifying that with Christ you were crucified, therefore you identify with Him in the resurrection and now are identified as a Son of God and receive the full inheritance that God has for you. That's a good identification, wouldn't you say? No fake IDs here. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And you have an identification in Christ. Then he says, pick up your mat and walk. The next stage is now that you've become a Christian, you're identified in the things of God, becoming saturated, baptized into the knowledge of God and growing. You have to begin walking. You have to establish a Christian walk. It, 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 sometimes you stumble. Sometimes you fall. Uh, sometimes you get ahead of yourself. But you're establishing a walk. You're moving away from what you used to be into what you are becoming. You're secure in Christ because you're identified by Him. Your salvation isn't based on this walk. Your salvation is based on the blood of Jesus Christ that saved you, that you are identified in. But now you can walk. Now you can begin to walk in that. And you build up a testimony. You build up a new life in Christ. And you establish a walk. From there, you begin to produce fruit. You become fruitful because the Spirit of God's dwelling in you and He's shifting and changing things in you. There's life in you and it produces the very nature of God, the very nature of Christ Himself. Love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, right self-control these is these fruit It's the very nature that it's beginning to bear in you and you become fruitful you become his workmanship you begin doing good things in christ that you are ordained to do you begin witnessing to people you begin loving to people you have more peace in the world than you ever had before and this begins to be seen by others and others are beginning to identify the fruit that you have as a follower of christ And so being fruitful is another level of growth. And then last week, we interrupted this growth for a crisis, a faith crisis. That could come in at any time in your Christian growth. These things hit now and then, because what happens is your faith gets shaken. And as you remember last week, we realized that our faith has to be shaken so that we can strengthen it and trust God more. Because sometimes we trust ourselves in our walk and that needs to be challenged because we have to be utterly dependent on God. And so so we we come into faith crises and and we work through them and we challenge them. Sometimes a faith crisis takes people out. Sometimes it, it, it takes them out of commission for a long time. They get angry at God. They get angry at the church. They sit it out. They bench it out. And, and they just want to follow God in their woundedness, but you know they'll give them a head nod and they still hope that all is well. For other people who were not really saved, but began to walk that walk of identification and a walk, and did good works, but weren't really saved, the faith crisis can challenge them and knock them right out and you'll recognize, as John says, they were among us, but they were not of us, and they walk away. And so a crisis every now and then against people's faith really challenges, are you a believer or not? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so it's challenged, isn't it? And so I'm bringing you up to to speed here because our next focus is that of dependence. This is something that goes deeper, brothers and sisters. It's interesting that as you grow more mature in Christ, you become absolutely more dependent on who He is. That takes seasoning. That takes time. It takes revelation of who God is and in this whole process, revelation of who you are. But I have found that the closer you get to God, the more spiritual, if you want to put it that way, you begin to find how weak you are. And God is an awesome God. The closer you get to God, He is a awesome, ferocious, loving, kind, just, and holy God. And as He begins to strip away more and more in your life, you recognize less of me, more of Him. And so tonight, if you want to follow with me on another level of growth, let's look at our dependence on Christ. Jesus said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Hudson Taylor, it's one of my favorite sayings. Hudson Taylor said this. He said, I began my walk by asking God, help me. Then I moved to a place where I said, What can I do for you? And then Hudson Taylor finally said, Now I say, God, do your work through me. And so that's a dependence on the Lord. And so let's take a look at what it means to be dependent. Now, how many of you uh, ate some food today? Anybody eat food? Okay. Just, I don't know. Maybe you're fasting. Anybody drink water today? Drink water? Did anybody get an opportunity to sleep a couple hours last night? All right, these are essentials. What would happen if you stopped eating, drinking, and sleeping? You would mess yourself up really bad, right? You are dependent on eating, drinking, and sleeping. Absolutely dependent. You have to function on eating, sleeping, and drinking. Why would it be any different in the spirit realm? If you do not eat of the Lord, drink of His Spirit, and have rest in Him instead of your works and your efforts, you will not last. We are dependent on eating and feeding from the Spirit. We can't exist, and that's why Jesus said, apart from me. You can't do anything. There is no salvation apart from christ there is no spiritual life other than the life of the vine or christ's eternal life put in us there's no other way so you have to be in christ in order to be saved and beyond that you can do nothing without christ we have to be utterly dependent on him now let's take a look at what dependence mean we look in the dictionary and the literal derivative of dependence to depend is the concept of a pendant hanging from a chain dependent <laughs> now i just made that up but that is actually the definition is true and it just occurred to me dependent <laughs> But that's the literal sense that dependence comes on is a pendant hanging from a chain. That pendant will not hang unless it is attached to the chain. If it's not attached to the chain, what's going to happen to it? It's gone. Okay, so we are dependent on Him. He, he is making us His jewelry, we're His gems, we're what He has handcrafted His workmanship. And he displays us for all to see. Can you see my grace? Have you ever seen some beautiful stones that were highly polished? Have you ever seen a diamond in the rough without being polished? I mean, these things, I don't know who discovered the diamond because it doesn't look very good. I would have picked it up as some rock. And someone knew, that's a diamond, are you crazy? And they know how to cut it and they know how to polish it. That's what Jesus does with us. And there is a time in our lives, brothers and sisters, where though you've lived your Christian life the best you can, been obedient, been good, and and doing good things and good works, you come to a place where you recognize, I have nothing to offer except Christ working through me. I'm utterly dependent on Him cleaning me up and transforming me. This is a deeper walk in Christ to become more humble and dependent on God and to hang everything I have on Him. My salvation hangs on Him. My understanding of life hangs on Him. My knowledge, my wisdom, everything hangs on Him. Apart from Him, I don't have much to offer. The second definition is this, found in Matthew 18. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Because a child is utterly dependent on their parent. They cannot feed themselves. They cannot drink unless parent gives them food. So Dependence is completely putting your life in the hands of another. And that's what happens when we we begin to trust. As you grow more mature in the Spirit of God, you begin to delve into the sovereignty of God. See, when you're first saved, we have a little bit of an argument with the sovereignty of God. We think things should go our way in our timing. But the more you've been with the Lord, the more you know His character, the more you know His nature, you are satisfied that my God is good and whatever He chooses to do, I will obey and I will follow and I will rest in Him. You, cannot, you can have times where you just don't understand it. You may even have an issue with how it was done, but you will rest in the sovereignty of God. That's dependence. That's dependence. Now, let's go on. There's another sense to dependence, and that is contingency. Undecided. It's pending. In other words, it depends on the situation. What do I mean by it depends on that? What it means by pending is that you will wait on God. And I like what James says. He says this. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. James 4.13 says, you know, you go and say, today, let's go to the city, let's spend a year there, let's do some business, let's make some money, Uh, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And he says, but why are you saying that? What is your life? You're just a vapor that will vanish and go away again to the sovereignty of God, you've got to say from now on, if it's the Lord will, Lord willing, I will do this tomorrow. Lord willing, my plans will come to pass. Now that's not saying don't make plans. You make your plans. You plan your life. You make your effort. But you always put it under the sovereignty of God because it depends on what God wants. Now that takes maturity. That takes the ability to have all of your plans shifted. And it's okay because I'm depending on God. And you know you're around mercurical. That's that's another term. You know you're around mature. There are mercurical people here, but you're around mature people when they can handle and need to be flexible and say, you know what, it all depends on God. It depends on God. And so I'm going to walk with God. I've made my plans. I'm going to do this. But as James would have me say, Lord willing. Last of all, to have any of this as far as dependence on God, you have to have trust and confidence. To depend on Him, you have to trust Him. And that takes growth. A few faith crises and uh, continual dependence on Him to a place where you begin to recognize life or death, I will live by my Lord. Whether he saves us from this fire, the three Hebrew boys said, or not, we will not bow to another. We depend on God. We love him. And so dependence breeds trust and faith and hope. And so we want to be dependent on the Lord. Now, the first point that you have to have when you're going to depend on God is surrender. Oh, well, I, I surrendered when I got saved. I said, Lord, take my life. It's all yours. And that reminds me of young couples when they first get married and they're saying their vows. And I'm saying, will you take her for better or worse, richer or for? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love her. And will you take her richer or poorer? Yo, yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm looking at him going, you have no idea. (laughs) No idea. Will you surrender your love one to the other and serve each other? Yes, we will. You learn surrender after time. You have to learn it. And that's in our walk. You know, because we Oh, I surrendered everything. I surrendered all my pain. I surrendered everything at the altar. I don't know how many people I've worked with over the years in counseling and help, and they've said, I thought I got rid of all this. Right? I think that's what we're going to (laughs) say on our deathbed as we're thinking about going to heaven and being with the Lord, and you're still going to have to deal with stuff, and I thought, I thought I got rid of all this. Won't be long now, you will. But... uh, (laughs) Surrender is something you never get past. There's so much in our lives that must be surrendered to God. And so surrender is really important to dependence on God. God has most glorified us in us when we are most dependent on Him. I will seek the Lord with my whole heart. I will have plans, I'll do everything, but it's according to His will and His purpose. We've got a directive to do this, but I'm going to hold on to His purpose, hold on to His plan. I'm going to trust Him like a child. And if He interrupts it and changes everything, Daddy knows best, and I'm going to be dependent on what He wants done. And when things don't work out and they fail, I'm depending on God to fix and help me through it. Utter dependence, utter surrender surrender i want to read to you a portion of a book it's a letter from a man named fenelon and i I would encourage you to buy this book it's two dollars maybe it's 60 pages maybe it's 30 pages very thin book little two dollar paperback by a man named fenelon and the book's called let go let go. Fenelon it was in the late 17th century, that's the late 1600s. He was an archbishop of Cambrai, France during the late 17th century, and he was serving there. And if you know anything about France at that time, it was quite a, an immoral place. And he became a spiritual advisor to uh, men and women that were really committed to God, really on fire for the Lord. And he was their spiritual father, and he would write. And basically, this little book, Letting Go, are his letters, his correspondence to these people. And so when I'm talking about surrender, let me read to you just a brief excerpt from one of his letters, if I could, okay? Please, listen carefully. Though it sounds strange to say it, I am rejoicing that God has reduced you to a state of weakness. Your ego can neither be convinced nor forced into submission by any other means. It is always finding secret lines of supply from your own courage. It's always discovering impenetrable retreats in your own cleverness. It was hidden from your eyes while it fed upon the subtle poison of an apparent generosity as you constantly sacrificed yourself for others but now God has forced it to cry out aloud, to come forth into the open day and to display its excessive jealousy. Oh, how painful, but how beneficial these times of weakness. As long as any self-love is remaining, we are always afraid it will be revealed. But God does not give up as long as the least symptom of it lurks in the innermost recesses of the heart. God will pursue it. And by some infinite, infinitely merciful blow, he forces it into the open. God sets before your eyes your idol, self. You look at the spectacle and you cannot turn your eyes away, nor can you hide from the sight, it, the sight from others. To expose self-love in this way without its mask is the most mortifying punishment that can ever be inflicted. We no longer see self as wise, prudent, polite, composed, and courageous in sacrificing itself for others. It is no longer the old self-love whose diet consisted in the belief that it had need of nothing and deserved everything. It weeps from the rage that it has wept. It cannot be stilled and refuses all comfort because its poisonous character has been detected." It sees itself foolish, rude, and impudent and is forced to look its own frightful countenance in the face. We have no need that God should attack in us that which is lifeless and unresponsive. No, it is the living that must die. You asked for a remedy that your problems might be cured. You do not need to be cured. You need to be slain. Quit looking for a remedy And let death come. This is the only way to deal with self. It's heavy. And he describes the self in such a deceitful way. Kind of reminds me of Jeremiah, doesn't it? The heart is what? Deceitful and desperately wicked. Who could know it? That heart that Jeremiah is talking about is the flesh. The flesh life. You see, to come to a place of dependence on God, you have to surrender the flesh, this self love. It's so tricky because you're doing good things for others as Jesus would have you do, and without realizing it, you've got this pride. You've got these issues of judging others while you're trying to be righteous yourself. Oh, it's sly. And I love the statement he said is God doesn't go after the dead things in your life. He goes after the living things. And so whatever is alive that is opposed to him, he'll expose. And that's painful. So we must be a broken people. We must be a broken people. I've had discussions, some folks have come into the church, different people who talk about our righteousness in Christ, which I teach we are the righteousness of Christ. And they go a bit further than that saying that you never need to repent and that you're uh, you know, the righteousness of God and uh, you're in sinless perfection and all this stuff. It's like, whoa, whoa, you're missing the maturity in the Spirit. As you mature in the Spirit, you understand your security in Christ, yes. You understand your righteousness in Christ, yes. But you are humbled by that, absolutely, and so completely humbled that you recognize I need the pure light of God to shine through me. Because there are things in me that are yet hidden. I must be dependent on Him. I can't find Him. Because, I mean, come on, you know what I'm talking about. Because when you look in the mirror, you look good. It's all right. But you're deceived. You know what I'm talking about? That's not that bad. I don't look that We're used to the way we are. And so if we've made a little progress, we think, hey, we're doing good. But if we could see what Christ sees. Now remember, he's not disappointed in us. He knew what he bought when he got us. He knew what he purchased. And he didn't put a little bit down and say, I'm going to see, this is contingency. I don't know if I'm going to take them or not. No, he purchased us completely. And he knew when he purchased us there was a lot of mess inside. But what he doesn't want is a people who will ignore the mess when he points it out. He said, you need to be dependent on me. There are times raising kids, you see things that they don't see. You know things they don't know. You tell them you can't go there. Why? Because you can't do that, you'll get hurt. Or here I need to do this. Well, you're hurting me. It's necessary. Because if we leave that sliver in, it's going to fester and cause an infection. No, it hurts what you're doing. I'm doing this for you. And that's what God's doing. And so we have to be so dependent on Him to recognize that when there are times that He is pointing out our sin, don't run from Him. Run to Him. Say, oh God, cleanse me. Wash me. Begin to pour out your heart to Him. He will soothe you and he will speak into you of a hope and a future he has for you apart from that sin. And He'll speak to you of how you will grow if you'll stay dependent on him. You'll become the greatest in the kingdom if you'll be like a child. Daddy, hold me. And so we have got to submit and surrender, surrender, surrender. And so Fenelon said, I am so happy that you're broken and upset and God just nailed you really happy. Because as a spiritual father, he knew there's a cleansing there. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, when people are weeping at the altar or coming to you and they're weeping and they're crying over sin or issues, let them cry. Please don't stop it. Many times at the altar, we all want to soothe them. Oh, they're weeping so hard. Don't. Let them be broken. Just stand back and pray for them. But don't try to... Soothe their troubled soul. It took a lot for God to get them troubled. <laughs> Let him be broken. It's one thing I've noticed lately in the church we don't want people to be broken, we want everybody to be happy. We want everybody to know it's okay that you fall. It's okay that you sin. And we know that we're cleansed by Christ. But you need to be broken and you need to confess. And you need to be wailing and blubbering and having carpet time with snot down your nose because you're absolutely surrendered and broken before a holy God. It's the best thing for the soul. And we avoid it. Because it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant but in the spirit realm, it's the most pleasant thing that could happen because daddy is grooming you into maturity. And what he's doing is taking poison out of your system. The poison that you labor and cry over in the decisions you're making every day. We're not recognizing that the decisions we're making are based on inward issues and sins and hurts and dad's trying to remove them. But we don't want that hard stuff removed but it keeps us in the same dysfunction i like what cs lewis said he said this until you have given up yourself to him you will not have a real self think about the logic in that he saved you from a kingdom of darkness you once were lost and you were blind he has taken you out of that and put the spirit of his son in you so that now you are going to be groomed in the image of a son So everything that is not of Christ needs to be removed. But if we keep hanging on to what we think identifies us, it's a fight between the Spirit and us. And you've got to let Him dress you and clothe you. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't know how to act like Jesus. I don't. If left to me, I act like Tim! And that's a problem. (laughs) I need a spirit in me that will guide me and teach me. So I must submit the dependence on God as you grow deeper and deeper in Him will strengthen you. Until you've given up yourself to Him, you'll not have a real self. So what we need to add to this whole dependence thing is submission, but then You need obedience. You see, to be submissive is passive. To submit is to say, I surrender. I give up. I'm not going to fight. Teach me. But then obedience is not passive. Obedience is something you must do. It's active. That's interesting, isn't it? An active and passive work that's going on. I'm going to surrender myself to God and not resist, but I'm going to do that in obedience every day. Every day? Every day. Can I have a break? Pick up your cross daily, he said. Active obedience. It's an act of the will by revelation you realize you lack and you need God. You see, this whole sense of obedience and dependence on God is really coming to the realization that you can stop trying to sustain the illusion that you're capable of doing it. It takes a while serving God before you begin to go into the deeper waters of realizing, but by the grace of God go I. I must be so dependent on Him. Proverbs 3 5 through 7, you know this verse. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and what? Lean not on your own understanding. Right? In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and he will make your paths straight. Okay? So this is an act of obedience. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, your intellect, your emotion, your will. You must trust him. Now, that is something that grows. Trust in God grows over time through experiences and so forth. Now, if you share this verse with someone who's in a faith crisis, they don't like you. <laughs> I don't need this right now. Things are real shaky. And you know what I'm talking about. You know, you share certain verses with people, and it depends on where they're at, whether they're receptive or not. Oh, brother, you just need to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. <laughs> wow. Why'd you do that? <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't need to hear that. And we've all been there, too. I don't know how to trust in God with all my heart except through surrender and obedience. There is a level of faith here in in a dependence of God. There's a level of faith that you have to trust Him. You see, faith operates where your reasoning and your logic stops. Because if it's your reasoning and logic, it's no longer faith. But you have to trust Him. And beyond every situation and every circumstance, I prayed hard and it didn't happen. What I was seeking didn't take place. I never expected this to happen to me. But I will trust in the Lord with all of my heart. I'm not going to lean on my understanding. My understanding is very, very limited. And see, I go back to that whole sovereignty of God thing and the limitation of our own mind. Stay dependent on Him and He will make your path straight. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways, in everything you do. I'm going to, Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing, I'll acknowledge you in everything I'm doing, and He will make your path straight. I always like that verse because when you think of Proverbs and the, the idea of He'll make your path straight, I always think of Israel. He's speaking to Israel there. And Israel had a history of walking crooked lines. took them 40 years to go through the desert could have used that verse 40 years ago (laughs) make your path straight Uh, Egypt Israel uh, 18 months could have been there they didn't make their path straight why did they not make their path straight they did not trust in the Lord with all of their might and they did not lean on him they leaned on their own understanding we had it better in Egypt right and so that's what they were doing. And so he says, I will make your path straight. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And last of all, there's this. There's an abiding. When you depend on him, you abide in him. Abiding in him, it reminds me of, of children when you, when you hold them and they just get all warm while you're holding them and they just conk out. They're abiding in the arms of mom or dad. Dad. That's the safest place. And so we have to abide in God. We have to trust Him. We have to be so dependent on Him. We have to be broken. So what does it mean to abide in Him? First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.29 He chose the lowly things of this world and the de- despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So if you understand what Paul's saying in a very interesting way, is we're the lowlifes. We're the losers in this world. He took the base things. That's us. Any kings here? Presidents? Kings? Royalty? Anybody crazy rich and powerful here? (laughs) Not in this earthly realm, are we? We're, We're the base things. If left to ourselves that God wouldn't have saved us, as he goes on in Corinthians, he said, You were sexual offenders, homosexuals, liars, cheaters, sinners, gamblers, adulterers. That's us. All of us. That's all of us. But he says, That's what you were, but you have been redeemed, bought with a price, cleansed, washed. We're the base things, we're just sinners failed trying to get by as best we can but god called you and now he has made you holy he has made you righteous so that you will confound this world how could you be so happy how could you be so filled with love you don't have money like i do i don't know if you've ever watched the lifestyles of the rich and famous now that's dating myself but uh, or or some of the shows you know of the different Hollywood houses of people or uh, behind the scenes of this rock star and that rock star. and They have all this opulence and money and cars and crazy houses and chandeliers and seven different homes and all that. I don't need that. I would like that. (laughs) But I don't need it. Why? Because I got him. I'm totally dependent on him. See, that other stuff, you've got to be dependent on doing stupid things to keep getting your money. You just have to look at the checkout line at your uh, National Enquirer to see all the stupid things they keep doing, just to stay in the headlines. But my, I'm in my God's headlines. I'm in his star lineup. Is that amazing? He did that to confound the wise because he said, I don't want anyone to boast. No flesh shall boast in my sight. What does that mean then? No flesh shall glory in his sight. What does that mean if no glory? No flesh will glory. No flesh will boast. When we get to heaven, no one's going to (laughs) go, I can't wait till we get to that Bema seat. You see what I got together. Gold, silver, precious stones. Yeah. My pile's bigger than yours. Jesus, look what I did for you. I did this. I brought my resume. (laughs) Absolutely not. When you get in the presence of a holy God, there's no boasting. When you're among people who truly understand who God is, there's no rock stars. There's there's no uh, high and mighty. There's only people who understand that apart from Him, I can do nothing. I think of some of the people like R. T. Kendall, you remember R. T. Kendall we had last year? I didn't realize who this guy was, and he made sure that <laughs> everybody knew that. Um, I'm sitting in a room with him. I, I had no idea who R. T. Kendall was. He's written over forty books and he's internationally known, and he's coming back in april and, and you know I'm trying to find out can we have you back, and I'm thinking I have to work with certain people who are his assistants and all this because you know. Uh, of his stature and where he's been and he writes back hi Tim we've really enjoyed I enjoyed my time with you I'm going to Dubai next then I'll be in London then I'll be doing this, this, this. all this stuff love to come back and see you here's a man who has been confronted with the holy God and he recognizes one thing we're all the same but by the grace of God go I there is no higher lower there's just dependence on him And that's a level of maturity, brothers and sisters. You see, it's a brokenness, but it's not a brokenness that keeps you wounded to where you're not functioning because you hate yourself so much. It's a brokenness with pleasure. I'm happy to be broken before my holy God because he's the only one who can make me stand, and it's not on my own. See, that's what I'm talking about, this dependence. It's a very deep, mature thing. He says, but you can boast. But if you're going to boast, boast in God. Now what Paul is doing, and I'll conclude with this. Paul is concluding by referencing Jeremiah 9.23. If any man boasts, let him boast in God. And I'm sure you're familiar with Jeremiah 9.23. He says this, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the rich man glory in his wealth. Let not the strong man glory in his strength, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. What are you going to boast about? How much money you made? How strong you are? Hmm? What, your knowledge? You're so smart. Really? Really? The arrogance of man. He said, look, if you're going to boast in something, boast in me. But there's something here, he says, boast in this, that you understand and know me. Can we back the bus up just a little bit to that word, understand? Do you understand God? Mm. I understand he's righteous and he loves justice and he loves mercy. That's a big one. So this dependence on Him, this boasting that I'm going to do in Him, I'm going to boast on how great He is. I've got to find out everything I can about Him. How in love with Jesus are you? Could I ask you that? How in love with Jesus are you? I mean, can you boast about Him? Can you brag on Him for more than 10 minutes? Can you brag on Him for more than 10 days? How much? How much... Are you utterly so dependent on him? You have got to find out everything you can to understand him. I have got to. It is the passion of my life to know Jesus, to understand him, to pursue him. You see what I'm saying? Now we can boast. Let's boast in him. And the boasting has nothing to do with you and how much you know. The boasting's all about him. You can begin to boast the minute you got saved at how good he is. So the boasting is all about Him and we have to be utterly dependent on Him. So I would submit this, brothers and sisters, in this part of your walk, as you're either approaching it or in it or someday hope to be there, I hope that you come to a place of such utter dependence on God that you will surrender to Him, obey Him, and abide in Him. Abide in Him. so that at the end of the day, when everything's said and done in your life, your greatest boast is all about Him and not about you. Let's bow our heads.